Welcome back to the Drop the Contest edition. And before we get into any contest news, we are breaking some news. Philippe Toledo has officially withdrawn from competition for the remainder of the year. He has been granted the 2025 wildcard for the first five events of the 2025 season. The reigning two-time world champion has been very honest about some of his challenges, not only with injuries, but also mental health throughout his 10 years on tour. Philippe has taken a break to get some time to himself to regroup and come back stronger in 2025 as per his Instagram. We'll have more on Philippe's situation as the story unfolds and we'll get into it more on the weekly news show that drops on Friday. In the meantime, we'll get into the event wrap-up and what an event that was. Obviously started with a bang, a couple of lay days in the middle and then finished with absolutely perfect pipeline and backdoor conditions. Baron Mamiya and Katie Simmers are your champions. Obviously some outstanding performances on the men's side of things, but without a doubt, groundbreaking performances in the women. We'll get into that in the show. Katie, you took it down. Lexus Pipe Pro Champion presented by Yeti. Congratulations. Pipeline for the fucking girls. Pipeline is for the fucking girls. Stacey Galbraith. Agree or disagree? I mean, of course it's for the fucking girls. They owned it. Um, that was the craziest day of women's surfing I think I'd ever seen. Full stop. I mean, I can't think of anything that comes close. No. As far as the actual like progression of women's surfing goes, I mean, we, we've had other... Re- and it's funny because we, we say something like this pretty much every time the women get a chance to compete in a finals day at really good pipeline. Like we did it earlier this season at the Vans Pipe Masters. We were like, this day just changed women's surfing. You know, you ended up with a final that had two girls that are in their teens, Molly Picklum, who is obviously just like a young 20-year-old, and then Moana Jones-Wong, the queen of pipeline. Like they put on an absolute show out at Pumping Pipeline. And what happened yesterday, it was just like even a greater continuation of that because you're seeing new names come into it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away. I think... Watching Moana Jones-Wong for the last three or four years, I was thinking there's no way she's going to lose an event out there. Like, I can't see her losing. Um, as long as there's a left barrel on play, she's going to be unstoppable. But that all changed yesterday. There's like... I knew Molly was always going to be a threat. She's obviously won a Pipe Masters in the Vans event. But just big, ugly lefts at Pipeline, or big, beautiful lefts, I should say. I just didn't see anyone matching Moana. But yeah, that... That's not the case anymore. There's like three or four, maybe five really solid contenders now, and it's just going to make this whole sport so exciting. There's nothing the chicks can't do. Yeah, and now I bet Moana's thinking like, oh, shit, I have to learn how to go right out at like sketchy back door. You see the waves that like Molly and Katie and the new addition to this list that like we obviously knew Molly and Katie had it in them, um, but Betty Lou came in this year, and like I didn't, I mean, I knew she was good, and I knew she could get little backdoor waves and stuff, but I don't even know if she knew what she was capable of out there. Like, the the nine whatever that she got at backdoor was, like, one of the dreamiest waves, but also still, like, a really heavy drop. And then when it mattered most, she's in the dying minutes, or seconds, really, of her heat against Molly Picklum to get into the final. She needs a high eight, and this pipe bomb swings in. She's, like, inside. She has to paddle out to it, turn around. And I was just thinking, like, oh, my God. I don't know if she's ever taken off on a wave like this before. And then she takes off, and it looks like she's been doing it her entire life. But you, 
you know that that was pretty much a new experience for her. Like that had to be the best left she's ever had out of pipe. Oh, for sure. That that was insane. It just and just how comfortable and just like natural style that she had on that wave was like you said. It looked like she'd been doing it forever, which is it's just not the case out there. All the women make mention of it, and every man does as well like it's so crowded out there it's so hard to get a good wave take off where you want to take off and um you know for her to put it all together like that was it was insane like that heat between her and molly that semi-final was so nuts and the, the judges are almost like going off one wave heat really like molly had a 10 and betty lou had the 833 and, and those waves are just so far superior to like the sixes and sevens that they got in their heat the judges kind of had like two scales going there where they were giving like really good scores for really late committed drops which I think are deserving like the drop is obviously the most critical part of the tube and where the majority of the score comes from but they weren't really even getting barreled at all on their backup scores and then their very best scores were like yeah two of the best waves we've ever seen ridden by women out there so it was like a a really interesting heat to break down but I think that I think the judges got that one right yeah that was so my initial instinct when I was watching it and Keep in mind, you're getting really caught up in the moment. But my initial reaction was, wow, Betty Lou absolutely did enough on that wave to get the 867 or whatever it was. I mean, I know Molly had a 10. That was clearly superior. But just given the whole context of everything, the situation, the fact that that was probably the first time she'd really gotten a bomb out at Pipeline and she did it that well, I was like, they have to give it to her. And it was interesting because I was watching that heat with non-surfers and so I was kind of like explaining to them how it all works you know top two waves and that in a situation like that where the heat has ended somebody has a wave that could potentially turn the heat the judges are going back and they're not only watching that wave to determine if it hits that specific number that she needs to make the jump but they're looking back at the other best waves from that heat by both Molly and both Betty Lou, and they're trying to decide who actually won this heat. You put both of their waves together against one another. Who surfed a better heat? And I think having done that, the judges made the right decision. That being said, like it's one of those ones that could always go the other way. Like It's not objective. This is a subjective sport, and I understand how some people could feel the other way, but I think the judges actually did the really smart thing here. They took their time. They took the emotion out of it. And the, uh, the right person won. But that's to say, good on you, Betty Lou, for absolutely swinging, having a go, and making it. Like, that was just such an impressive performance all around. Yeah, like you said, everything about it. Betty Lou had to sell Molly on the wave before. Molly has this huge drop where she comes into this backdoor wave. And you're kind of thinking, oh, she for sure bettered her score there. And she's going to, Betty Lou's going to need maybe even a combo now. But then, like you said, you kind of settle down and watch the replay. And you go, hang on a minute. Like, Molly didn't really get as barreled as what she probably would have wanted on that last wave. She's already got like a five, six, seven as a backup. She doesn't better. And then all of a sudden this wave's coming in and then she's on the shore and you're going, hang on a minute, like this has gone from Molly just dominating to Betty Lou going like within a real good chance of pulling that off. But yeah, I I was the same. I was watching that with the missus and the kids and we were losing it. Like it was so good. Well, and I don't know about your wife and how much she cares about surfing or or whatever i'm sure she knows a lot about it just be it you but like my wife was almost crying in tears she fucking hates it (laughs) but was she just impressed no she was so impressed she was so engaged and she was going like because the i think joe or jesse was saying like oh you know molly's got a wave like backdoor at home and courtney's like no she doesn't and i'm like oh she kind of does like (laughs) 
but just of all the calls that were coming out, and then like, I don't know, I reckon that I'd love to have a non-surface segment on this show, you know, and just to hear like what they think about funny little sports sometimes. <laughs> but it's, oh man, it's it's just so freaking cool, like the fact that three or four years ago, the women didn't even have an event, like it just finally got an event at Pipeline, and who knows what the WSL would say in retrospect about why they didn't let the women surf there. Like, cause now it just seems so silly, right? You give them just a few years, a few opportunities. And like, we're talking like within the space of this event and specifically even just that last day, I would say Betty Lou got 150% better at surfing pipeline. Like it's not like they need all the time in the world. They just need a few opportunities to be out there without people looking over their shoulder and just be able to figure out where they need to go and just have a swing. You know what I mean? And now we have three surfers, Katie, Molly, and Betty Lou, who are all, you know, 21 or younger. And they're all three of the best pipe women surfers in the world. And it's because they grew up in a time when they had the opportunity to actually do that. Um, so it's just, it goes to show, you know, you, you give people that opportunity and they're going to step up. And that was, that was the big criticism of the WSL not running on Monday. It's like, yeah, it would have been hard. It would have been scary, but some people would have stepped the fuck up and it would have been amazing. Um, so I think that the WSL, they got pretty lucky. Yeah, I've got a different train of thought okay. there. What do you got? Like, I think that Moana Jones-Wong deserves a lot of credit for what she's done with her career with no competition or financial incentive being dangled in front of her. Like, she was doing what she was doing at Pipeline well before there was a women's contest even on the schedule. And then when one came about, she's obviously best on ground. And I, I don't know, I think that a certain level of, um, you know round of applause basically it needs to be had for her because it doesn't always have to be about being an event there like it, it, it comes down to just wanting to surf certain waves and and I think that um, you know there's other tour locations around the world where you know I, the box is a, a great example like some of the women just don't paddle out there and I, that's to me every year that it's not packed I get a little more like, well, they're going to run heats out there one day. You've got to, you've got to have to surf it at some point. So I think that, you know, it's not always about competition and, and money. It's like just wanting to get barreled. And I think that Moana shown that and she's led the way. And I think that, you know, she deserves a, you know, a lot of recognition for that. She certainly does. Um, but she also came onto the webcast and said something that was really poignant. I thought, and she's like, yeah, you know, I've had tons of experience out here. I've dedicated my life to getting really good at this wave. But I have that opportunity because I live in Hawaii. And for a lot of these women who are on the tour, like they can't, they don't have the luxury of spending an entire winter season here. You know, they're competing in other places. They can't just be on the North Shore for every single swell and paddle out every day. So that's why I think these opportunities are so important because you get to watch them grow in real time and the progression is not 20% or 30%. Like they're, they're doubling their ability and their confidence out there in the space of a single day. So it's a, it's a, it's a matter of all the things for sure. Like you have to want it in the end. And that's why we've seen Katie out at the box, Betty Lou out at the box. I believe Molly as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like there's, there's certainly a connection between the women who are doing well at these waves and the, the women who also want to surf these waves just naturally. And that's who's going to be the future of the sport. Like I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, wow, between those three surfers and then coming up, like I said, shortly after them, probably Sierra and Aaron Brooks, 
I mean, I know that there's still a lot of talent in, I, don't, I hate to use this term, but sort of the old guard. You know, Tyler's still right there. Um, Tatiana's still right there and a few others as well. But it's like, I don't really see anybody in the next three to five years being able to touch this new generation. Like they're just, they're so hungry. They're so talented. And it just seems like the world is their oyster, no matter what types of waves it is. Like Katie Simmers won at two beach breaks last year. Molly won at sunset. Katie just wins again at pipeline. It seems like they've got really no main weaknesses and yeah, they're just so much fun to watch. Your point's true about the men as well and that exposure to that wave. Like, you're not getting a wave out there full stop. So even if you're like Callum Robson or Jacob Wilcox or any other guys like Liam O'Brien, who obviously they charge and they've got the skill set to do it, but just having the opportunity to sit where you want to sit and take off where you want to take off, um, yeah, if you get to surf two or three heats out there every year, you're absolutely cheering because like an hour out there to yourself is like, a whole season basically in the water so your point about that Moana made about you know getting opportunities out there is so true it's like you know if you're lucky enough to you know or you work hard enough to make the CT and you, that's pretty much the I think the reward that everyone is looking for if they said it's one event it's like I'll get pipe with no one out the rest of the events are amazing but pipeline definitely takes the cake yep so congrats to all those women I mean Katie obviously got the win I would say, in fairness, Molly probably looked like the person who was going to get the win. She was like charging the hardest. She had the highest success rate as well. But when it came to the final, the conditions changed a little bit. She got one really good wave, but not a great backup. Katie capitalized. She got one really good wave and then was clever. And this is something that we're starting to see a little bit of a change in her this year, I'd say, from her rookie year, where she's realizing that she can and she also is willing to win heats in a little bit more of a grindy competitive way because yeah it's awesome to get great waves and surf them beautifully and that's how you want to be known and I think that is always how she's going to be known but to be able to be clever when it matters and get a win out of this event rather than a second place is just going to set her up for so much success down the line absolutely Mikey well obviously that's a massive come up but let's get into a couple more Baron Mamiya, holy smokes. What a dominant final day, Mikey. That was so freaking impressive. And I don't know, there was, there was something about it. Like, I think Kaipo even said it. He went up to Baron in the morning, he said, and said, this is your day. And I don't know what it was, but when he paddled out against Jordy in that, uh, I think it was, it the, no, it was the second heat of the morning. But that first little wave, the first set came through. Jordy went the first one, didn't make it. Baron made the second one. And then Jordy gets back out and gets priority. And this little freaking triangle wedgie thing comes by. And Baron has to pretend like he doesn't see it for the longest time because Jordy's a little farther out than him. And he just waits and waits and waits. And as soon as Jordy is like right past that little precipice where you can no longer turn and go, he just swings and knifes into this thing. And from that moment for me, I was like, wow, this dude is so switched on and ready to fucking go. And then he just carried that through the rest of the day. It's kind of crazy how like, you see that happen and you're like this guy's not losing today <laughs> it's like kind of happened with Kelly the other year when Kelly did that to Baron on the buzzer like he just looks so good every time he stood up so confident and just so in rhythm with the ocean and he was just making every single wave and um, he's pretty like subdued in his posted interviews but uh, it was good to see some you know plenty of emotion come out of him every time he, he made a wave he certainly must be the best feeling in the world to win an event right in your backyard like that well, and imagine, okay, so there's, 
there's so many layers to that because yeah this is literally his favorite wave in the world it's a place that he serves every single time that it's good and he's home and he's over the years i mean he was really good when he was young i think there's a clip of him when he was like 13 years old getting a wave at backdoor that would be any other surfer's wave of their life and since then he's had another 150 of those but yeah to to do it against john john in the final, I would imagine there's no better feeling. It's the only equivalent is like when John John um, was against Slater out there. You know what I mean? Like, and to to have who was the best guy as you were growing up up there, and to be able to take him down, and with a ten, no less. Like, I just yeah, he obviously won as a wild card at Sunset back in 2022, and I'm sure that was like a really special moment. But Baron doesn't give a fuck about sunset. You know what I mean? Like, it's cool to win a CT event as a wild card. It's cool to do it at home. But what he just did yesterday, that is, if he never wins another CT event again, which I think is unlikely, I I also don't think it'll matter because he will always have that moment. Yeah, I think sunset and pipeline paired together sound pretty good. You won two events on home soil, but yeah, the pipeline title for sure is the one that he was going for. And uh, what a remarkable story. Like, Come on as a wild card, re-qualified. He's been number one in the world before, but now he's number one in the world after winning the Pipe Masters. Like, that is such a cool story. Like, what a legend. And also, so one of the things that really stood out to me, like, we talked about how Baron never looked like he was going to lose yesterday. John Florence almost, almost lost his quarterfinal. I think he was saved by about 30 seconds. And he saved me as well, because I had a lot of money on that heat. Um, but from from the start, from the get-go, John was sort of on his heels and like almost like he was battling with Pipeline, a wave that he typically is just so attuned to. And it was really tricky for him. And you could see the like exasperation when he came out of that wave to beat Leo in the dying seconds. Like, oh, fucking finally like how many different ways do I have to try to surf this wave that I I normally know like the back of my hand he obviously had an easier time with Ian Gentile but then coming into the final against Baron um, something happened to him that I haven't really seen since that heat that he had against Seth back in I believe it was 2022 and that was when um, Seth took off on that wave that was just like a giant feathering TP and just airdropped into it onto his tippy toes and got a crazy score. And John was right next to him when he took off and John could have gone. And you saw after that something flipped in John's mind. And he was like, oh, I can't just surf safely out here. I can't just surf the way that I surf this wave every day. I have to take more chances. I have to go deeper. I have to go more under it and inside. And after Baron got his 10, that happened to John again. And he was he fell on a drop, which you almost never, ever, ever see from John out there. And it was just crazy when you see somebody, there are very few people in the world who can get John to that point, I think, where they get a wave that's so crazy and so steep that it forces his hand and forces him to take chances and risks that he wouldn't normally. No, you're spot on. And like, we spoke about it last time with Seth, like, it is a different, even though Baron's top of the food chain out there, it's still kind of got that grommet look to his surfing where he is high risk, taking off late, taking off deep, trying to be sneaky, getting waves under priority. And it just it just makes for more, essentially more exciting drops because they're not like picking up the wave they want super early and just gliding into it like John. And it does have a big effect on the score. And, and you're right. And John knows that. Um, but it's almost like John's physical ability to paddle well and position well almost come to his detriment because he, he's just making it look so easy. So he knows that he's got to turn it up a notch. And when that happens, 
obviously it can be a few more unforced errors. Yeah, and Jesse Mendez actually made a really, really good point. I, I love him on commentary, by the way. I don't know what you think of him, but I think he does a really good job. He's like balanced, but also obviously has that recent experience on the CT to be able to speak to it. And he has um, an unusually close relationship as well with one of the surfers on tour. So you get some insights from that as well. But one of the things he said that stood out to me is he's talking about positioning out there. And he's like, you know, to get a good wave at pipeline, it's all about being in the perfect spot. To get a perfect 10 at pipeline, you almost have to be in the wrong spot. Like the way, the level that surfing is at nowadays, to get a wave that is truly like a 10, you have to shock and surprise the judges. And the only way to do that is to do what Baron did, which is taking off way too deep. That wave had basically no curve in it. He almost like fell to the bottom, somehow retained his speed, went through like four different sections and came out, you know, two seconds after the spit. So um, that's kind of like what John John was forced to reckon with. It's like, yeah, exactly what we were saying before. So um, anyway, that was really big for me. Another come up that I had that I think this is probably going to be part of a trend. We've only had the cut now for two years, and we'll need to see this play out over a number of years to get the stats on it again. But I have a feeling that the way that the system is set up with the current schedule and the order of events and where the cut line is, that Hawaiian surfers will have a much better chance of making the cut than surfers from other regions. You start at Pipe, you go to Sunset, and then you go to you know, super tubos, which is another kind of like heavy water wave. Um, and then you also have bells, which maybe not so much, but maybe still kind of like some sunset similarities and then Margaret river as well. So I have a feeling that, um, Hawaiians over the, if the schedule stays the same, are going to have a really good chance of making the cut. And one surfer that we saw this with at pipeline is Ian Gentile, the 2023 rookie of the year, but not necessarily a guy who you see as a huge threat at every spot on tour. But he finds a way to just keep making heats. Now he has a semifinal under his belt. And I did the math. Um, last year's cut line was above 8,735 points. He just got 6,000-odd points for a semifinal. So all he needs now is two seventeenths in the next three events, and he's already beat the cut line from next year. So you can pretty much say he's requalified. Definitely looking likely the case. Uh, however, I think a bit of recency bias playing in there, Mikey, because I think Emi Kalani DeVault, Zeke Lau, and on the women's side, Malia Manuel would probably have a different thing to say about Hawaiians making the cut in, uh, la- in recent years. Um, but hey, good on Ian. And uh, you're right. It- it- it's certainly set up to the surfers that like heavy challenging water to start the year and it's the complete opposite of how it used to be like snapper into bells <laughs> so it's definitely going to see a different uh different shape and different faces doing well um to start out the season yeah so those were the come-ups for me any more from you before we move into the letdowns i guess as long as you start well and finish well it doesn't really matter it was so good to see the event get good waves to start with and good waves to finish with uh that was a just an overall highlight for me, Mikey. Do you think the WSL is uh, redeemed for their decision by that finals day, or is there still some lingering resentment? Um, I definitely think there's some lingering resentment, for sure. Um, it's always so hard to make a call from the screen, though. Like, ha- have you seen, like, we need to do, like, an Instagram tally of waves. I, I just don't know, like, I... I didn't see that many crazy waves on Instagram getting around from that afternoon that everyone was losing their mind saying they should have uh, I saw a few, for sure. And Buck, Buck and I went into this in depth. Like a, like a few, but that's the internet where like 
Like, to me, it's less about were there a million amazing waves, and it's more about, like, was there the opportunity for greatness and the opportunity for someone to, like, step up and really fucking make a hero of themselves. I don't know. I just think when you have those opportunities, you have to sort of seize them. You got to look back to that Fiji event, you know, that they they only ran two heats and then called it off and so forth. Like, I just, I think if you're the WSL and you're trying to sell entertainment, you got to go with what's the most entertaining, and that's just fucking giant barrels. So, I don't know. We'll never get to the bottom of it, but I'm sure a lot of surfers who lost when the waves were subpar are pretty disappointed about, like, that aspect of it, especially when they saw the conditions yesterday. But to the WSL's credit, peak end rule, they ended with a bang, and I think we'll generally have a positive taste in our mouth when we remember this day. Mm. Oh, for sure, without a doubt. No, it was cool. And I think it's so hard to make a call on the screen. We can all sit here and say, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. But I don't know. The wind to me looked kind of crazy and gnarly when it was that big. But, yeah, obviously there was big barreling waves without a doubt but yeah hard to make a call all right let's get into some letdown i think that's probably a letdown in itself right there and i think like the the size of the tour is is still like something to me where i don't know if it could get events done quicker i'd think that that would be more entertaining if you're talking about entertainment which is what yeah, I, th- I think the, the letdown, which is sometimes out of control, but maybe not in this situation because there was definitely waves in the middle of the event, but just like the time between drinks, like first day is amazing and then we have all these days off like, and then finish with a bang, like it just is such a hard thing to get in rhythm with the event. Obviously, we are dealing with Mother Nature and we all know that, but yeah, I do wonder if um, there is a, a, an alternative to that, Mikey. Well, what would that look like? Just logistically. I think I think less numbers. I still think the tour and the men's side is massive. Mm. I agree. I agree with that. And it also, like, I don't know. I just really felt for... Because you could see on finals day, and this is especially true on the women's side, but I think on the men's side as well to a certain degree, but there were just so many mismatches in terms of ability in those waves. And I think that was a result of a lot of the preceding rounds happening in waves that didn't even really resemble pipeline. Like imagine if you were Carissa or Moana or Tyler watching, you know, Luana Silva or, um, you know, Brisa Hennessy in her second heat actually tried pretty hard, but you could tell that, you know, she, she hadn't quite had that experience out there, but there were just a few heats where, I don't know, you just would want to see the best of the best out there because the gap, like I said, from the men's side and the women's side, the gap between the better surfers at Pipeline and the worse is like a gulf, like it's a chasm. So uh, to me, that was a bit of a letdown as you just, you really wanted to see the Carissas, Moanas, Tylers, the Kellys, the Jacks, the Gabbies out there when the waves were best rather than going down in conditions that were subpar. Um, so that was definitely a letdown for me. And then another one, this was actually a letdown for both of us because you actually picked this person as your dark horse for the event. I have him as one of my rookies of the year. Or yeah, I think he's your rookie of the year as well. But Jacob Wilcox was absolutely dominating Yagodora in a heat out at small, fun, backdoor. He just looked so comfortable, looked like the opposite of a rookie. He was just picking perfect waves, just sitting and laughing in the tube. Like It just looked like the most fun heat you could ever surf. But then when it came to crunch time, he made a brutal, brutal error that cost him the heat. And he's already taken to Instagram and kind of dressed like, yeah, man, that's like hard to to think about right now that I was that close. And he obviously ended up paddling for a wave with priority that he didn't need, that wasn't going to do anything. And then right after it, Yago got the best wave of the heat, which at Pipeline, there's just no, 
there's no beating the best wave of the heat. You could surf every wave perfectly, which Jacob basically did. And when somebody gets a wave that's just, you know, 1.5 the size or 1.5 the, the girth of yours, you're just going to lose. So um, any thoughts on that, Stacey? Have you talked to Jacob about that? Oh, no, I haven't talked to Jacob about that at all. That would be unsolicited advice, Mikey. Um, but I did talk to Jacob's coach, actually. And, uh, yeah, he was uh, furious. Uh, but I actually think... Ja- Who's Jacob's coach? Tim McDonald got him on the tour and then uh, COVID happened, so Timmy picked up the tools. But he's going to take uh, Tim to Bells Beach where they got a fifth there in 2022 or whatever year that was. 19 maybe. But uh, yeah, Timmy, not happy. Hard to watch those ones through the screen. But Jacob was on the worst waves that whole heat. Like, he was out surfing Yago on the inferior waves. And then, like you said, when it comes, like, Yago fell on a wave that he would have had that heat sewn up on, like, in the first couple of minutes and that rhythm kind of continued to happen but Jacob was just obviously having such a good time how could you stop surfing out there um when you've got the lineup to yourself which is pretty much like such a common theme that everyone says like if a good like wave comes and it's like a five or a six it's still probably the best wave you're going to get in a free surf so you go um, but I think, you know, Yago definitely had the rhythm in that heat. He, he wasn't surfing the best, I didn't think, but he was definitely on the better waves. And then when it came to that at chance at the end, like Jacob should have known better, obviously. Uh, and then we obviously knew what happened. Yago stroked into a beautiful backdoor wave and um, it was kind of like such an easy number for the judges to give, like you said, just based on the size of the wave and then the thickness of it. And Yago wins the heat and Jacob is holding his head in his hands going how did that happen Hmm. there was a bit of a i saw a bit of feedback on our site and probably wsl stuff as well about oh wait we didn't get to see like jacob's wave from the other angle and people were getting kind of conspiratorial about you know jacob should have gotten a better score than yago because you saw jacob's wave that came after yago's and you only saw it from the back angle and from the back angle it obviously looked pretty good he disappeared for about five seconds or whatever uh but Stacey, you've worked around these events a lot. First and foremost, the judges have access, correct me if I'm wrong, to angles that don't necessarily get aired on the broadcast. Is that correct? Yeah, they have their own angle. Like they have their own um, camera um, that's on the tower that's that's their angle. And then they have access to the broadcast cameras as well, which just because what gets plugged into a live feed doesn't mean that there wasn't three other cameras that got it. So yeah. that that's That was my understanding as well. And also, I mean, yeah, Jacob's wave, especially when watched from the back, it looks like he gets barreled for a while, but it also looks very flimsy and a little bit slower than Yago's. Yago's was more just like a pure running, you know, thick, perfect little backdoor wave, whereas Jacob's had a little bit more floppiness to it, and you're just never going to get the same sort of score for that. And I actually had one, I think it was undergunned, one of our commenters, he went and looked at the Surfline Rewind Cam to uh, finally get to the bottom of it, and he said that, he thought that Yago's wave was maybe a little bit overscored, but overall the judges made the right call and the right person won the heat, so I just wanted to address that. Uh, one other big mistake that I saw in this event came from not a rookie, but a wild card in the form of Sheon Crawford, who had world number three, Griffin Colapinto, against the ropes. He had by far the best wave of the heat. All he needed was a little backup, and um, unfortunately for him, he tried to go and get a little backup and that left Griffin out the back to get a like godsend buzzer beater. Um, did you catch that one as well, Stacy? Yeah, caught that one. That was uh wow, you you damned if you do, damned if you don't in that situation. 
it's such a genuine 50-50 roll of the dice. And, uh, yeah, Pipeline can be such a sleepy angel. Uh, but not when you need it to be. Not when you're Jacob or you're Sheon and right behind the wave that you go or a few minutes later the wave comes. It's... Um, Oh, it's a cruel mistress. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, Xion, he got two really, really good waves in this event. I was actually really impressed by him. And again, I think him and Jackson, who also got a really good heat win, they're going to have an awesome career in surfing and out at Pipeline. So at least they can hold their head high knowing that like, they're right there. There are just probably a few strategic things that they need to work on. Like uh, Jackson ended up losing to Connor O'Leary, who just belted the hell out of a two-foot backdoor wave. And Jackson actually had a chance at the end to do the same thing. It just didn't quite work out from him. But still, pretty good showing from the Hawaiian wildcards, two really young guys as well. And then on the rest of the rookie front, nobody, they, it didn't do that well in general. Um, neither of, or I, I guess Sawyer Lindblad said she got her first backside barrel ever, which is pretty cool. And she won her first heat out there. But besides that, her and Alyssa didn't make it very far. And only one of the men made it to the round of 16. That was Crosby Colapinto, who defeated Gabriel Medina in the round of 32. He had a really, really good heat there. Um, but overall, yeah, it was a pretty tough event for the rookies, which is unfortunate because you'd almost say that Pipe is probably an easier event to do well at as a rookie than Sunset. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. It's um, It has that similar element of like right place, right time. A big wave can come your way and you, you kind of get the score based off the wave. But definitely Pipeline has that element of um, kind of easier to be surprised, I think. Sunsets, you definitely got to let go a few huge turns, even if you are on a good wave. So... Yeah, I'd say I'd say it is it's it's harder but easier, if that makes sense, Mikey. <laughs> yeah, it does. So the sunset event technically starts well, it's gonna be today when people are listening to this, uh, February twelfth, but I don't think they'll run uh, for at least five days, because basically we have a few small days to start the period and then a few XL days, which are probably outside of sunset's little window i think it's going to be just overwhelmed with swell so it's looking like maybe a saturday start so i think stace and i will try to get back on here for a quick comp preview before that uh maybe we'll attach it to the friday edition of the drop we'll see but before we go on pipe stacy i do feel like um we kind of have to go over some gamble ramble let's get into some gamble ramble mikey it's your day pipeline is for mikey sierra miller Mikey, you had a field day. Yeah, it was a pretty good event. I'm not going to lie. I got uh, I got really lucky um, in a lot of ways. And then I, I just had a really good finals day. But it, these, I don't know what, um, you know, in Australia, you guys have your own betting sites. Over here in the U.S., it's betonline.ag. They are a partner with us. And um, we also have a, a promo code right now for premium members to get free betting credits with them so if you don't know that it's in an email somewhere or you can reach out to us and we'll give it to you Uh, but betonline.ag they put out event winners before the start of the event and i usually have a crack at like one favorite what we call an overdog on this podcast and then a few underdogs as well and the underdogs hit hard this time. So I had Katie Simmers as my underdog on the women's. Um, I also picked Molly to be a winner. So when they both got in the final together, I knew I was guaranteed a certain payout. And then I had Baron as my underdog on the men's side. And he was going to pay a hefty sum if he beat John John. I chatted with some friends leading into the final. And I was convinced to hedge, which, of course, in retrospect, wasn't the right call. But that's okay. I still made plenty of money on that and then 
on the rest of finals day, I went 10 for 12 on heat wins because, like I mentioned before, there were just so many mismatches, so many heats where there was clearly a surfer who had the advantage, and I just went pretty hard on those. So I ended up making overall uh, about $1,900 on finals day alone, and then $2,500 for the event doubling my initial investment in this event because when you make money from heats you just like put it back in and yeah so it was a really big event for me my biggest ever and I don't expect it to happen again anytime soon I could very well lose money in sunset that is the very nature of betting and especially sports betting in a sport that is subjective and you know has is at the mercy of mother nature but just so happens I had a good event this time around so uh, yeah pretty happy with that you sound like you're talking yourself out of throwing any bets on sunset at all just so you can come out of the Hawaii leg up (laughs) (laughs) there's definitely thoughts of that running through my mind but I think um, (laughs) Tom Birdie would fire me so uh, I think I have to keep going unfortunately (laughs) yes you do you definitely do Um, hey the forecast I know we'll get into it but the forecast for sunset looks pretty good yeah yeah we'll get into that soon and I will I'll always do my best to get my picks up online so that people if they choose to can follow them i know a few people are pretty happy with following my bets in this event um it is pretty tricky to get the heat picks in on days where they run multiple rounds and you're like you know making bets as you go we haven't really figured that out just yet but um yeah to anybody who's betting with me best of luck i apologize because i well yeah just trust me it's not going to always be like this so don't think oh i'm just going to follow him and make money like it's not how it works i got pretty lucky here but uh, yeah, if you're betting along with me, thank you, and I hope we have a great season. I reckon you kind of you usually do pretty well, but hey, buyer beware. Yeah, I I did. I, I think I only lost money in two events last year, which is pretty good odds. But I'm just I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for the piano to fall. You know, they say the house always wins. <laughs> I, I assume that's right. I but it's also because you just can't make really dumb decisions. Like if you have a bad day, just accept that and move on. Don't try to dig yourself out of that hole. Like I bet $300 on Carissa to win her round two heat. Cause I was just thinking there's no way she goes down like this. You know what I mean? Like there's no chance that this is how Carissa's career on tour ends is, you know, getting third place in a heat at two foot back door. Like it just seemed unfathomable to me. And yet it happened. And there was a part of me that was like, fuck, now I have to go bet $600 on someone else. But then it's like, you just got to take your losses as you take your wins, um, which is in stride. And yeah, don't get too caught up in it. Don't get too greedy either is a big thing. Like there was part of me when I had Katie and Molly already guaranteed to win money in the final because I had both of them. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just put more money on Molly, you know, just to double. And it's like, nah, you don't have to do that. Just be smart. Congratulations. You are the first person in sports betting history to admit uh, that you lost a shit ton of money on a bet. <laughs> <laughs> it happens though. Like, and, and you see, I, I put it at the end of every comp route. Yeah, exactly. Your, your picks are written, so you kind of have to be uh, honest there, but, uh, geez, if you get down to the local coffee shop after a surf event, you only hear about the heroes and, uh, how much they cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> but it is important, like, cause we have gotten a lot of, you know, feedback about how like, oh, you know, betting this, betting that. And it's like, I understand it from one side, from the other side, like this is something that happens in all sports all around the world. Um, and it's just part of the culture, I think. And in the U S it's new, like in the U S you weren't able to do any sports betting for the longest time. And now it's finally opening up. And to me, it's really shame on you poker stars, (laughs) but it is just, I don't know. It is important to, to do it within reason. And like, yeah, I just, I want to make sure that we're all betting with the right mindset. Like to me, it's, it's about making surfing 
more fun to watch. Like I'm more engaged in competitive surfing than I ever was. And I was already really fucking engaged in competitive surfing. Like this just adds another layer of excitement to it all. So that's where I'm at with it. Like I'm certainly not going to be um, betting my salary or anything like that. Like it's not, I'm not looking at this like, oh, I'm going to, you know, bring in X amount of income this year. Like, no, it's not. It's just about making surfing more fun. Uh, especially in those slow heats, like I, I won a hundred dollars for Brisa Hennessy getting a one five and a two five in her heat against Luana Silva. You know what I mean? It's like fuck yeah. Um, but that's where we're at. So anything else, pipe on pipe before we go, Stacey? No, that was it. It's great event. Stoked to be back in the competitive surf realm. We've got a couple of new world number ones and bring on sunset. All right. Well, we will chat soon about that event. Um, but until then, over and out. Thanks so much for tuning in. News podcast will drop Friday US time and then we'll also be back with a preview for sunset. Looking forward to it. Forecast looks good. Fingers crossed it stays the same. 